Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hi, this is Rebecca Buchanan, host of New Books Network, New Books and Popular Culture. And today I'm here with Chris Melanthi, who is the author of Old Town Road, um, which is part of the singles series out of Duke University Press. So it'll be the third book out of that series. So Chris, thanks for being here. Thank you, Rebecca. Delighted to be here. Could you talk about why you decided um, to put together this book on Old Town Road? I'll be honest, I was approached to do this book. It was not originally my idea because the single series, which you mentioned in your intro, was just getting off the ground in 2020 at the height of the pandemic when I was approached by the curators, Emily Lordy and Joshua Clover. However, they had observed that the prior year, 2019, and that's an important year in the history of Old Town Road, I had written a lot about this little Nas X song that broke all of these chart records. And they liked my writing about it because I was placing the song in a larger context, the context of the charts, genre, race, and how we define genre based on race, technology, virality. Um, And they said, we love what you've been writing about primarily for Slate magazine. And we'd love for you to turn this into a book, which, you know, would be part of this new series we're starting called Singles. Uh, and at the time, Joshua Clover was working on the first book in the series, Roadrunner, but it hadn't come out yet. And I'll be honest, I just knew at that moment, oh, yeah, I have to do this. You know, a book is hard work, frankly, but I knew I was the best person to do it. And I had thought so much about this song. And because my writing, the focus of my writing is the the pop charts. I write a series for Slate called Why Is This Song Number One? And I host a podcast for Slate called Hit Parade, which is a podcast of pop chart history. Because the charts are my focus, there's really no better story on the history of the charts and everything that spins out from that than Old Town Road by Lil Nas X. It's set a record in 2019. And as of this taping, keeping my fingers crossed, it still holds that record for most weeks at number one on the Hot 100, 19 weeks. There's currently a Morgan Wallen song that's at 14 weeks, which is starting to threaten it and is making me nervous. But let's let's assume that by the time my book is published, Lil Nas X still holds the record. <laughs> and so it's it's set this all-time chart record. And to understand why it set that record, you really have to kind of look through the prism of chart history, music industry history, the history of genre, race and genre, all those things, internet technology, because that's a big part of the story, all that factors into why Old Town Road is a big deal and why it set those records. So that's why I wanted to write the book. So and so let's get into the book a little. Before we do, I will tell you that last week I was playing um, like pub trivia and a question came up about the song that was the most on the number one and they did not list this song. The answer was wrong. I'm like, I know. I just read this book. I know the answer. You're wrong. I don't remember. (laughs) They must have been talking about a different chart or something like that. (laughs) Yes. Like whatever it was, however it was worded. I'm like, no, I don't think you're right. Um, So, yeah. So you can learn. Yes. All about that. And I did love that sort of chart history and learning all about sort of how the chart sort of came to be and thinking about that. So we can get into that a little later, but can you kind of 
situate us with who Little Nas X is, right? So you don't only go into the song. You sort of tell us about how this young man was able to sort of create this space and create an ability to become a number one single. Well, his backstory is sort of interesting. He was born in 1999 in Atlanta, Georgia, in uh, and raised for a time in a notorious housing project called the Bankhead Projects, which, uh, as notorious as it is, it also uh, has a lot of lore in hip hop history. A lot of rappers actually wound up coming out of the Bankhead Projects. And, you know, he's also born at a moment when the center of gravity for rap and hip hop is shifting to Atlanta. So he's kind of born into the moment when Outkast and other groups like that have shifted the center of rap from the East and West Coasts down South. He's born into all of that. He is raised by, you know, his parents who are divorced. He shuttles back and forth between his mother and his father's house. Uh, he watches a lot of television, including the TV show, Hannah Montana. That will become important a little later. And Basically, by his teenage years, young Montero Lamar Hill, I should have mentioned that that is his birth name, um, is obsessed with internet culture and meme culture. And he has figured out the way so many Zoomers have, the way to navigate internet culture, make memes, make posts that will go viral. Um, at one point in the 2010s, he becomes a fan, or you might say stan, of the rapper Nicki Minaj. He becomes a primary poster in her fan army known as the Barbs. And that sort of gets him up to speed on internet culture. And by the way, all of this is before the invention of TikTok. He's doing this mostly on Twitter. For a time, he's on Vine. He's on, you know, whatever platform is most interesting. And then he starts around the time that so-called SoundCloud rap becomes a thing in the mid-2010s, where these Zoomers are recording these very emotional songs that are tagged as rap, but they almost are genre-free. They touch on rock, they touch on pop, they, they have a little of everything. They're very melodic. Lil Nas X, as he's starting to call himself, is recording his own mixtapes. And eventually, circa 2018, He's surfing around on BeatStars, which is a uh, you know, website where you can download beats for creating your own you know, music in GarageBand or some other software. And he comes across this interesting sample, which is of a song by the band Nine Inch Nails, the alternative rock band. If you're a Gen Xer like me, you know them well from the 90s. Um, Trent Reznor of Nine Inch Nails had released an album in the aughts called Ghosts. And on Ghosts, he had put all of these instrumental pieces that he kind of intentionally wanted people to mess around with. And a Dutch budding DJ who liked to create beats and post them on BeatStars, he called himself Young Kyo, had taken this one song by Trent Reznor way on the back of the, the album. It was like a 36-track album, and it was on the fourth disc of this four disc Nine Inch Nails album. And it had this very delicate strumming sound that sounded like a banjo bordering on a Japanese Kyoto, this, this little twang. And he didn't do much to it, young Kyo. He just tweaked it ever so slightly and put a little bit of a hip hop thump behind it. And he posted it to Beat Stars. 
Lil Nas X hears this in 2018, and to him, it sounds like the makings of a country record. Now, this kid is born in Atlanta, Georgia, but he's not necessarily a country music fan. But the real reason Lil Nas X wanted to turn this into a song is that to him, it was a chance to create a meme. It was a chance to create something funny and, you know, do his best corn pone accent, put his best twang on. Again, he's from the South, but he's never really sung country music before and kind of blend the hip hop that he's acclimated to with this country sound and just the hokiest lyrics he can think of about, I got the horses in the back, you know, bull riding and boobies, uh, wrangler on my booty. You know, it's it's almost stream of consciousness. However, he did craft it very carefully. He crafted it to be catchy. He crafted it to be tight and rhythmic. And he crafted it, and he admits this in multiple interviews, he crafted it to be funny. He figured the funnier this song is, the more it's going to go viral and it's going to blow up. And it's like this Zoomer kid who's at about 19, 18, 19, when he creates this, he is tapping into what Gen Z finds funny. He he just innately knows what's going to make this thing go viral. And it's it was really interesting. I mean, Little Nas X, is, I know the song, but it's, you know, the history of the song is not in my wheelhouse. So I thought it was really interesting, too, that the original song was like you talk about with the memes and it was really short, right? Really short. Super short. So, I mean, I thought that was really fascinating, too, and kind of adds into your sort of history of him and history of the song sort of explains why it was so short and how it worked because of that. It was under two minutes. The original version of the song is, I, I think I've got this time memorized, one minute, 53 seconds. And that's not unusual in the world of, first of all, SoundCloud rap. This is, you know, these hip hop tracks that were released on the service SoundCloud in the mid tens. A lot of them were really short. It's not unusual for the streaming era where in general records have gotten shorter. Uh, short records in the Spotify era are rewarded because if an artist, excuse me, if a listener plays more of the tracks on your album and they're shorter and they can get to more of them, your royalties are going to go up. Notoriously, Spotify royalties are, you know, fractions of a penny. And many artists have complained about how little they make from Spotify. But you're improving your odds if you make the songs shorter. And I'm not sure that Lil Nas X was even strategizing that far ahead. He was just thinking short and tight. That's what this thing should be. And so it just kind of tapped into the zeitgeist technologically and culturally without Lil Nas X having to think that hard about it. What he was thinking most hard about is how do I make this funny? How do I make the lyrics work? So you've got this sort of story of this young man and then it's also important to think about the relationship. You talk about it, you know, the country music, but like country music and race and how that plays out with this song and this sort of story of this song. So can you talk yeah. a little bit about that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I sometimes joke in the book about the so-called Nashville industrial complex country music more than I think I can say this categorically more than any major genre of music is very centrally controlled. Right. There's a reason why folks often use the word Nashville, the name of the city, Nashville, as a metonym or a synonym 
for country music because that's music row in Nashville is where the music is controlled. And as for country and race, yes, since country music, as we have come to understand it was basically codified back in the 1920s, even though it borrows extensively, extensively from African music, African-American musical instruments, forms, spirituals. So African-American music is baked into the very essence of what country is. It has nonetheless been marketed as a fundamentally white music. And there have been performers over the decades, performers of color, who have tried their hand at country music and sometimes even been rewarded. The primary example being probably the most famous black country star of all time, Charlie Pride, who was a huge hit maker when he started from the mid to late sixties, right through the eighties. Um, Charlie Pride scored more than a dozen number one country singles, but Charlie Pride was often held up as kind of the shining exception that provided a fig leaf for the, I'll say it, racism that was baked into country music and the way country music was marketed as this is music for white people, white Americans. Um, and, you know, so you have examples, which I discuss in the book, like in the early 60s, uh, Ray Charles had a blockbuster album that topped the pop album chart for more than a dozen weeks called Modern Sounds in Country and Western Music, in which Brother Ray tried his hand at what was then called the sort of countrypolitan style. It was heavily orchestrated. It was the kind of sound that you would associate with Patsy Cline at the time. Um, it was very lush. And Modern Sounds and Country and Western Music was a blockbuster. It produced the number one hit, I Can't Stop Loving You. Country radio didn't touch it. It didn't touch the country charts. None of the tracks on Modern Sounds appeared on country radio at the time, at least not in any way that made the charts. So... Again, this, this history is long of a divide between country music and Black artists. More recently, in the 21st century, you've got Darius Rucker, the former frontman of Hootie and the Blowfish, who made a successful and some would say even improbable pivot to being a chart-topping country star. Uh, he had several number one hits on the country charts. The one that pop fans are likeliest to know is his cover of Bob Dylan's Wagon Wheel. And... More recently, there have been artists like Kane Brown and Jimmy Allen, Black artists, who have kind of played the Nashville game, as has Darius Rucker, right up the middle. They do the twang. They work with Nashville songwriters, Nashville producers. They kind of play the Nashville game by Nashville rules. I give all this backstory because this explains why Lil Nas X, when he materializes out of nowhere in late 2018, catches the... Nashville industry off guard. He posts Old Town Road to the streaming services and tags it not only as a hip hop song or a pop song, but a country song. And as such, when its data is reported back to Billboard magazine, it is tagged under multiple genres, including country. And it is briefly, very briefly, for literally one week, allowed to appear on Billboard's Hot Country Songs chart. And then this, you know, song by a brand new artist who has done none of his work anywhere near Nashville. He hasn't worked with Nashville songwriters. He hasn't recorded in a Nashville studio. None of that. Nashville reviews the content of the song and determines this is not a country song and pressures Billboard, basically, 
to yank it from their country chart. And that's when the outrage machine kicks in. That's when all hell breaks loose. When people notice that this song got pulled from the country chart after only one week, basically saying, wait a minute, is this because it's not actually country or is this because Lil Nas X is black? And that's a complicated question because by 2018, 2019, it was pulled after one week in March of 2019. By then, Darius Rucker and Kane Brown and Jimmy Allen, and of course, decades earlier, Charlie Pride had had number one hits. So country could point to these black artists and say, no, 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 see, we, we do embrace country music by black artists. But the number of artists that play country music and are black and embraced by Nashville is so small, you can almost count them on the fingers of one or two hands, that the fact that Little Nas X comes at this from sort of left field, producing a song that is absolutely twangy, did get some airplay on country radio stations, but didn't play by the rules, so to speak. That really confounds the entire genre definition system, the chart system, et cetera. And so that's what I dissect in the book. And you talk a bit, so could you talk a little bit, so one of the things you talk about is that, like how the chart system is set up, sort of that history of the chart system, which is really fascinating. And so can you talk a little bit about that too? Like what is, I mean, I think we often hear like Billboard Hot 100 or, you know, but knowing sort of what that history is. So can you talk a little bit about that and the evolution of the chart system and and how that plays in? Yeah, you know, I'll be honest, when you asked me the question, why did I write this book? One of the reasons I wrote it was I knew that it would be a book fundamentally and nominally about Lil Nas X and about Old Town Road, but it would also serve as a stealth history of the charts themselves, which is what I write about. And I'm pretty shameless about telling people this. Buy this book if you're curious about Lil Nas X, Old Town Road, but you can also get a lot out of this book if all you want is a history of the charts, because I go fairly deep on how the billboard charts work. To answer your question, when people say this is the number one song in the USA, they are usually talking about Billboard's Hot 100, which is sort of the flagship chart that since 1958 has defined what we consider a hit in America. There were other charts, other magazines that had charts, but Billboard sort of outlasted them all and had, in my opinion, the best, the best methodology. The Billboard charts have always measured at least two things, sales of songs and radio airplay. And that was what was novel about the Hot 100 when Billboard invented it in 1958. They were not taking these pools of data and keeping them separate. They were blending them together into one chart to rule them all, as I like to say. Uh, as of the 21st century, there's a third factor in the charts, which is now bigger than the other two, which is streaming music. And streaming music is an interesting wrinkle to how the charts work because it's a little bit like radio and it's a little bit like sales. The user gets to select the song they play, but they don't keep it. And that, it turns out, has a tremendous impact on the types of songs that can chart that go to number one. Lil Nas X's Old Town Road was sort of an ideal song for the streaming era because the streams overwhelmingly were what made Old Town Road a number one hit. It sold quite well. It did very well on radio. It was never a number one radio record, but it did get to number two on Billboard's radio songs chart. But overwhelmingly, the streaming, both on audio services like Spotify and Apple Music and on video services like YouTube, if you watch the YouTube video of Old Town Road, that too counted for the charts. All of that combined to make Old Town Road a smash hit. And as for the Hot 100, you know, the reason I write about it in my 
you know, why is the song number one column and why I cover it extensively on Hit Parade. I think it does the best job of any chart of blending what I call active fandom and passive fandom. Active fandom is kind of like, you know, the, the BTS fan or the, you know, Olivia Rodrigo fan, or to take it back decades, the Beatles fan who has to own a record in their the first week and buys it and, you know, it consumes it right away versus passive fandom, which is primarily radio. It's basically the person who they don't know who Lil Nas X is or Olivia Rodrigo is or BTS are, but eventually a song like Dynamite by BTS or Driver's License by Olivia Rodrigo will drift across their radio and they'll go, oh, what's this? By combining these two pools of data and now the th third pool of data streaming, Billboard captures how active fandom and passive fandom, yeah. excuse me, active fandom and passive fandom combine to and are fused to give us a sense of what the biggest hits in the USA are. Right. So we've got this sort of fandoms coming together and Little Nas X plays on it in multiple ways. Right. So you mentioned Hannah Montana much earlier. So can I we, right. Like, but this comes into play again. So can we talk about um, how he kind of uh, pushes at or tackles the, um, the way in which country music sort of exists, you know, like brings in a country or a well, who used to be a really large country star and brings him back into this uh, mix and complicates it even more. <laughs> so remember, Lil Nas X was never a big country fan. He doesn't know that much about country music. And in 2018, when he has a little brainstorm and does Old Town Road and thinks to himself, boy, it would be great if I could get an actual country singer onto this record. The only country singer he knows is the father of the star of Hannah Montana. That show is, of course, starring Miley Cyrus and Miley Cyrus's father. He actually acts on Hannah Montana. If you go back and watch those old shows from 15 years ago, is Billy Ray Cyrus. Billy Ray Cyrus was one of the big country stars of the 90s. He is most famous back then for Achy Breaky Heart, a line dance record that topped the country charts and went top five on the pop charts as well. Achy Breaky Heart was a serious phenomenon, such a big phenomenon that even people who didn't know much about country music in 1992 probably heard Achy Breaky Heart. Many people hated it. Uh, some Many fans loved it. Uh, it was, you know, an object of debate back then. But by the tens, excuse me, <clears throat> by the 2010s, Billy Ray Cyrus isn't really a big country hit maker anymore. His heyday has passed. But because Lil Nas X knows who he is, he tweets in December of 2018 as he's trying to get Old Town Road off the ground, can somebody help me get Billy Ray Cyrus on this? It's just a wish he's putting out into the universe. It's literally, the he doesn't know who Kenny Chesney is. He doesn't know who Jason Aldean is. He doesn't know who Morgan Wallen is. He doesn't know who any of these other country hit makers are, but he knows Billy Ray Cyrus. And as the song starts taking off in the first couple of months of 2019 and labels are fighting to sign Lil Nas X and he's eventually signed to Columbia Records, which is, of course, a storied label of many decades. The reps at country, excuse me, the reps at Columbia Records pass word to Billy Ray Cyrus. Hey, listen, this kid wants to know if you've heard his record and wants to know if you'd be interested in being on his record. And Billy Ray Cyrus hears the record and says, damn, that's original. And he says yes right away. He agrees to appear on a remix of Old Town Road. 
And that is now the iconic version of Old Town Road. If you hear Old Town Road on the radio or dial it up on a streaming service, chances are the primary version you're going to hear is the Billy Ray Cyrus remix, which expands the song from 153 to about two and a half minutes. Still an extremely short song, but it's been expanded by more than 30 seconds. Uh, I even would say that Billy Ray gets one of the best parts of the whole song. There's a verse that he takes in the middle of the record that goes hat down, cross town, living like a rock star that I would say is one of the catchiest parts of the remix. And so to go back to your earlier question of, you know, race and genre, adding Billy Ray Cyrus accomplishes several things. It not only kicks the virality of the song up a notch, it widens the song's audience and not incidentally, it serves as a dare to Nashville saying, okay, we stuck a white country artist on this record. Now is it country enough to appear on the country charts? And spoiler alert, Billboard never put it back on its country chart after it yanked it, but it did lead to a lot of debate in the industry and in the popular press about race and who qualifies as country music and who deserves to be on the charts and all of that. Um, yeah. So it it really was kind of a before and after moment. And finally, the, the last thing I would say is that this debate over race and genre, what's so unusual about it is that this meta story is part of what lifts Old Town Road to number one, because once it goes from just kind of a, a fun meme, and by the way, I should mention it's also it also took off on TikTok at the moment when TikTok was just getting off the ground in 2018 and 19. It goes from sort of a TikTokable meme to a thing that the general populace is aware of because of this controversy. It it, it makes headlines, and that's what sends it to number one. You know, above and beyond whether radio is playing it, above and beyond whether it's hot on TikTok, and so you really get a sense from Old Town Road of how so many various factors, radio, genre, virality, and, you know, newsworthiness all combine to make a song a hit record. That's why, again, I see this song as kind of a prism through which to talk about popularity in the charts. Well, and a number, another thing you mentioned, um, and you mentioned, you know, he getting signed to Columbia, but another thing that comes up is he was unsigned. Right. Like here's right. an unsigned like this is this is another phenomenon that little Nas X accomplished that has not been accomplished before. Right. This idea of being number one and not being signed. Yeah, it's extraordinarily rare. It's not 100 percent unprecedented, for example, very technically in 1994 when Lisa Loeb went to number one with her song Stay, I Miss You from the Reality Bite soundtrack, even though the Reality Bite soundtrack was on a major label. Technically, she was unsigned when that song went to number one. So, And then, of course, immediately she was signed to a very lucrative deal with Geffen Records. So there's some tiny sliver of precedent for unsigned artists doing this well. But yeah, Lil Nas X got himself onto the charts as an unsigned artist, which is extraordinarily rare. But it shows you kind of how we're in a new era, in the social era, where a song that takes off in a place like TikTok can really kind of capture the imagination and register on the national charts, even in the absence of promotion from a major label. So first I'll say, um, 
it makes me very, very happy that it's Lisa Loeb, who's like another example of unsigned. I've just put that out there. Lisa, you're awesome. Um, you're here. <laughs> but uh, so can you talk a little bit about then how this song continues to stay in the charts, right? It gets on the charts, it comes back, um, it has all the success, but then you also look at sort of the songs it competes against and how it kind of competes and kind of keeps staying on that chart. So can you talk about it's a 19 week, right? 19 week stay and how that happened? Yeah. You know, and the penultimate chapter before the epilogue of the book is basically a week by week, blow by blow, where I walk you through in sort of historical present tense, everything that happens to Old Town Road in the first roughly six months of 2019, where it just conquers America and conquers the culture. And remember, Lil Nas X, if he has a skill, I often say that if Lil Nas X had a genre, it wouldn't be hip hop, it wouldn't be country, it might be pop, but what I really think his genre is, is internet. He sort of understands what makes things go viral. It's it's his special skill to flash ahead. When Lil Nas X had subsequent hits, he's now a multi number one hit maker like Montero in 2021 or Industry Baby. He's very expert at, you know, making things go viral and, you know, making things go social. And back in 2019, during that run at number one, he sort of knew how to just throw a little something over the wall to get people excited about it, whether it was another remix of the song. There were many remixes of the song during those 19 weeks, or, you know, it was the um, uh, attachment of the song to the video game Red Dead Redemption 2 that actually predated the song coming out, but that the success of that video game helped push the song up the charts. Uh, whether it was the launch of the music video, Columbia Records had to do with that. They, you know, gave him a budget for what they call the mini movie Old Town Road. And this two and a half minute song was expanded into a five minute music video with cameos from celebrities like Chris Rock. Um, and that pumped up the data for Old Town Road as well. Eventually, the song amasses so much streaming data, people are consuming it so much. And it's especially popular with kids, including little kids, you know, tweens, kid, kids younger than tweens. Uh, I opened the book with an anecdote about an elementary school that is, you know, has a live performance by Lil Nas X and they're screaming the lyrics back at him. Um, the streaming numbers are so massive that it's kind of unbeatable for a period of about four to five months, including singles by Taylor Swift. She has two songs that peak at number two behind Old Town Road. Uh, Ed Sheeran, Justin Bieber, uh, Shawn Mendes, um, Camila Cabello. All these records either peak at number two or have to wait until uh, Old Town Road is done with its 19 weeks at number one to get to number one. Uh, the song that has the longest wait is Billie Eilish's Bad Guy. It's probably her most famous single, which spends nine weeks stuck at number two behind Old Town Road before Old Town Road finally kind of sputters out of its own accord and Billie Eilish gets to go to number one for a single week after Old Town Road is over. But um, yeah, it's it's really fascinating all of the techniques that Lil Nas X used to kind of keep this song in the cultural conversation as long as he did. Right, and previous to that, the record was from uh, now I can't remember. Um, so what was the previous record and when was that record? 
Yeah. So the previous record was set in 1995-96 by a number one hit by Mariah Carey and Boys to Men called One Sweet Day. It's this almost gospel tinged ballad about, you know, uh, mourning the dead who have, you know, gone to the afterlife. And it spent 16 weeks at number one in late 95 and early 96. That record held a remarkably long time. It was very nearly beaten in the year 2017 by the song Despacito by Luis Fonsi and Daddy Yankee featuring Justin Bieber. And notice, by the way, that all of these records sort of combine people from different worlds. So in the 90s, you've got Mariah teaming up with Boys to Men. Broadly, both of those artists are R&B, but they're kind of different parts of R&B. In the 10s, you've got two Latin stars, Luis Fonsi and Daddy Yankee. You know, Luis Fonsi is kind of a Latin balladeer. Daddy Yankee is a reggaeton rapper, essentially. And then they pile Justin Bieber onto that to give it an English verse. These are the kinds of records that pull together enough different American audiences to spend months on top of the charts. And yet again, in 2019, Lil Nas X manages to get Old Town Road to number one by himself before the Billy Ray Cyrus remix drops. But after you add Billy Ray Cyrus to it, then it goes super viral and it just stays at number one for 19 weeks, beating the Mariah and Boys record. Yeah. And you mentioned the video too. The video is kind of, if if people have not watched the video, I think the video is kind of amazing. Um, it's delightful. It, yeah. It's super fun and, and how they play that out. So there's all these um, different ways and different things that are going on um, with this song, like you said, to keep it at number one. Um, so we have this song, you have this song, you've written about it. Like, what do you think, um, is going to be the importance of the history. Why, besides being, at least as of right now, and hopefully it will continue to be like the um, longest single, like longest single number one, but what else do you think this song is doing for the charts and, and sort of for pop history? I mean, for the charts, it shows how different the charts and music consumption is nowadays. How streaming, for example, now that we know exactly how much you play a record, um, we have a better line into what makes a song popular. By the way, later in 2019, uh, I'm sure many people are aware of this, an old Mariah Carey record from um, Christmas of 1994 called All I Want for Christmas Is You went to number one for the first time. And that's much like the story of Old Town Road in the sense that once we know how much you stream a record every Christmas, suddenly these records that never went to number one before have a chance at number one. So Old Town Road kind of is, is a moment where it widens the window of the kinds of songs that can top the charts. We've seen everything from We Don't Talk About Bruno from Encanto, you know, a Disney ensemble song. None of those had ever gone to number one before. That goes to number one after Old Town Road. Um, you've got viral TikTok hits like The Box by Roddy Rich, which is fueled by a meme uh, where people are playing off a squeaky noise in the Roddy Rich song. That goes to number one for more than 10 weeks. So really, Old Town Road is the before and after moment for how we understand internet virality and how it makes songs hits. And, you know, just in terms of pop, it's it's an important moment for, for genre and the charts and the understanding in the Generation Z charts era that the very idea of genre is a construct. It's fluid. And, you know, Zoomers are not all that interested in genre boundaries. You know, if they like a song, they'll play it. They're not interested in concepts of high and low culture. Oh, this is cool. This is uncool. 
they have their own definition of cool and uncool. It's not as if they don't care about what's cool and uncool, but genre is not necessarily the limiting factor. And Lil Nas X innately understood this. He heard this twangy sample in 2018. He said, I can make a country record out of this. It'll have thumping trap beats. So it'll sound like hip hop, but I'm not going to rap in it. I'm going to sing all the way through it. It's going to be catchy like a pop record. And it's going to be funny, like a novelty record, like a comedy record. And all of that will be blended into this one sort of uber catchy record that sort of dominates the culture for a period of months. It's, it's a proof of concept and Lil Nas X turned out to be right. Right. And hopefully he'll record a Christmas single, right? That will like go on to, I, I will say, I apparently keep bringing up my um, daughter's obsession with Wham, but Last Christmas is a num- another example of a song that hit number one, right? And she's like so sad that George Michael never got to see that happen. Um, and this is a time where you don't have to be alive to see that happen because it keeps playing and it appears on TikTok or anywhere else. As long as we're digressing and talking about Christmas. <laughs> music one thing i follow every christmas and i've been following it very avidly and tweeting about it is uh every christmas for the last four the number one record has been mariah carey's all i want for christmas is you and right behind it at number two is brenda lee's rocking around the christmas tree which was originally recorded in 1958 and was a hit in 1960 and it's this close to going to number one and by the way folks brenda lee is still alive so it's possible that the I think septuagenarian, I don't think she's over 80 yet. Septuagenarian Brenda Lee could have a number one record, you know, as soon as next Christmas. So yeah, it, you just never know. And the, the, the streaming era on the charts in all seriousness is what makes this possible. Yes. I, and I kind of think that would be really awesome if she did. Right. Right. Um, but it is, it's fat. Like, like what you talk about like this, when you, so you're also seeing different sort of holidays or different seasons and like songs will come into play and that can you know make a play for a song because you know it's going to be popular yes between thanksgiving and christmas or even now i guess maybe halloween and christmas or whatever it might be billboard has data that every halloween thriller by michael jackson you know comes back on the spotify charts and so yeah no it's 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 kind of an all seasons uh, you know, possibility to score a record. Uh, right. Just this month, we're recording this in August. I read a story on Billboard just yesterday that the song August by Taylor Swift is now coming back onto the digital streaming charts every August because people are in the mood to hear a song about August in the <laughs> month of August. So, yeah. That can be your next project to look at like what songs come on what months or holidays and figure that out. So maybe, maybe, I mean, I've, <laughs> I've already written extensively about Mar- the Mariah phenomenon and what happened to all I want for Christmas is you. And if folks want to read more about that, they can look me up and I've, I've recorded both a hit parade episode about that phenomenon and uh, done a why is the song number one about that. So, so we've got, so you've got this book, you've got this on little Nas X and um, what do you think is so do you think he will accomplish something like this or something similar? Like, where do you think his career, I mean, this is an, I don't know if you even want to think about it, but where do you think his career is going? Like, do you think that this was something that he tried and he's just moving on to something new or is he going to keep playing with this kind of thing and playing with like how he can, um, I don't know if manipulate is the right word, but like gain traction on the charts through all these different internet means. Well, as I said before, he's already done it. And by the way, I would be remiss if one thing that I didn't mention, but which I do cover in the book, is the fact that yet another thing that's historic about 
Old Town Road, is that Lil Nas X, the artist behind it, came out of the closet while it was the number one song in America. He came out during Pride Month, June of 2019. He was very anxious about doing it. He he waited until literally the last few hours of the last day of Pride Month to do it. And by the way, it didn't hurt the song at all. The song stayed at number one for another five, six weeks after he came out. Um, and so that's an important milestone that, you know, Lil Nas X is kind of the premier LGBTQ musical icon right now. And there's competition for that title, but, you know, he has been, once he came out, he came all the way out. He is not shy about uh, his sexuality and the way he expresses that sexuality on stage and in his songs, including hits like Montero, his 2021 number one hit, or his song Industry Baby, which famously has a video shot in a prison with a drill team dance number of all naked male prisoners. Uh, their, you know, nether parts are blurred, but it's, uh, you know, it's no puzzle about what's going on in that video. And that too, Industry Baby was a number one hit. And I bring that up because, you know, it was an open question after Old Town Road whether Lil Nas X would go down in history as a one-hit wonder. Very technically, because I'm a chart nerd, I will say that he did score a top five hit a few months after Old Town Road called Panini, which technically made him not a one-hit wonder. But Panini only was in the top 10 for a week or two and mostly because of a flurry of streaming numbers. So it barely counted as a, as a record that would have prevented him from being a one-hit wonder. And I'll be honest, to be a little meta for a moment here, when the curators of the single series, Emily Lordy and Joshua Clover, approached me in the summer of 2020 and asked me if I wanted to write about Old Town Road, one open question, and I said it to them that day is, well, this will be fun, but, you know, I wonder if I'm writing a song about a one-hit wonder artist, if, you know, Lil Nas X is ever going to have a hit again. And I am happy, happy, happy to say I was wrong about that, because when I turned in the first full manuscript of the book the following spring, that very week, I kid you not, uh, Lil Nas X debuted at number one on the Hot 100 with Montero. So this guy has already proven that A, he's not going to keep trying to be a country artist. He basically abandoned that after his debut EP, which has a couple other country-esque songs on it, but he's not, you know, tilling that field anymore. Um, and B, more importantly, that he just has this innate sense of what will play in a social media world. You know, that's his great skill. He worked with some expert producers on his debut album, Montero, which came out in uh, 2021. And, you know, he brings his own musical skill, but obviously he relies on others like the producer team, Take a Day Trip to produce catchy records. But it's Lil Nas X. I see him as the auteur, like a film director of his music in that he sort of understands both lyrically and musically what's going to connect with Gen Z and what's going to make something go viral. He's proven already that he can do that in multiple genres. Industry Baby doesn't sound like Old Town Road and Montero, Call Me By Your Name doesn't sound like Old Town Road. Those two records don't even sound that much like each other. So he is an artist not limited by genre and he just has a sixth sense for what pop in the 2020s sounds like. 
So we've been talking about this for a while and I could probably keep talking about it, but um, so you, this, this book comes out uh, November 14th. So it comes out. Um, and so can you, so my last question is usually, what do you want to promote about it? What's going on? Like how um, it's Duke university press and it's a sort of a short sh- on the shorter end, right? Really accessible. You have fun um, titles for every chapter that kind of go along with old town road. Right. Um, so what is that last sort of promotion, anything going on that you want to put out there where people can sort of find out where you will be talking about this? Right. Well, I strongly encourage folks to pre-order the book if you're listening to this before November 14th or buy it if it's after November 14th. Uh, I'm pleased with how it turned out. I'm proud to be part of the single series. Um, You can think of the single series as kind of a successor to the long-running 33 and a third series of books where each book is about a single album. Each of these books in the single series is about a single song. So, you know, this fall, there's a book about Hound Dog coming out from my friend and colleague, Eric Weisbard. There was a previous book by Joshua Clover himself called Roadrunner about the proto-punk song by Jonathan Richmond and the Modern Lovers. Basically, we're going deep you know, about 30 to 35,000 words deep a piece on these songs and their cultural impact. So short books, but pretty deep history and pretty deep information uh, on the cultural resonance of these songs. Um, So I would encourage folks to read the book if you're interested in the charts, if you're interested in race and genre, if you're interested in LGBTQ history. And uh, I also encourage folks to listen to my podcast, Hit Parade, uh, available on all podcatchers. If you like chart history, I've covered everything from Bruce Springsteen to Outkast to Taylor Swift to Whitney Houston uh, to chart phenomena like One Hit Wonders or, um, you know, funk, uh, the genre of funk, the genre of yacht rock. Uh, We've got episodes about all that stuff. And uh, you can also read me on Slate at Why Is This Song Number One. Uh, I've got those pieces coming out every few weeks. So uh, feel free to connect with me there. Awesome. So again, Chris, thanks for talking with me. This is Chris Molenthe, who is the author of Old Town Road, which is part of the single series. Thank you. Thank you, Rebecca.